Welcome to the Carbon mini-series within the Exploring Opportunities podcast brought to you as part of the Future Farm Resilience Support delivered by NIAB, AKC and Savills Working in Partnership. My name's Elizabeth Stockdale, Head of the Farming Systems Team in NIAB. And today we're going to explore carbon markets with my guest who is Professor Mark Reed. Welcome, Mark. Hello. So I've been wittering on about soil and organic matter and soil health in upland and lowland systems for quite a long time. And I think in parallel, and we occasionally bump into each other, you've been working in the same systems, but with some of the same issues, but very different perspectives, perhaps. Do you want to give us just a little bit of background about yourself and the things you've been up to? Yeah, thanks. So, so I'm a professor of rural entrepreneurship at Scotland's Rural College based out of Edinburgh, where I co-lead a centre that looks um, at uh, natural capital or ecosystem markets. I was one of the original architects of the Peatland Code, which is the UK's first carbon market um, that uh, restores peat bogs. And I sit on its executive board. I'm also research lead for the IUCN UK Peatland programme that owns the Peatland Code. We work closely with the Woodland Carbon Code. Uh, and I've been on teams that have been exploring the development of carbon markets for agricultural soil carbon, salt marsh carbon and agroforestry carbon. But I'm also interested in markets for biodiversity, water quality, uh, other things as well uh, as a, a collection of things that we might call nature based solutions to climate change. Mm-hmm. Great. So the, the first question for me anyway is why do we need a market for carbon? Yeah, so if you look back to why we created the the Peatland Code originally, we've got a problem, which is A, climate change, B, biodiversity loss. And um, when you look at peat bogs, uh, damaged peat bogs are a problem on both of those. Also a problem for water quality, perhaps uh, flood risk, depending on where you are. Uh, And it is very expensive to fix these problems. Uh, How do you pay for that? Uh, Well, to an extent, we can pay for that through public subsidies. Um, But uh, if you can engage carbon markets as well, then that can not only supplement public funding, but potentially pay people more than they could get simply from those public subsidies. And that's important because that is paying farmers or whoever the landowner is a fair rate for that work and incentivizing them to actually do that work. So I guess it's about recognising that the carbon and the ecosystem services it delivers are actually a product just as much as the livestock or the um, grain that's produced on a farm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, and you can manage multiple outputs from the same piece of land. Um, and I think that's what, what I like about uh, the peatland codes, um, agricultural soil markets, uh, for example, is that they take what's uh, described as a land sharing approach. Uh, where you can continue to grow food and at the same time sequester and store uh, or avoid emissions uh, from that land. Uh, And you don't have to uh, put that land aside simply for carbon. Um, And of course, that's where things uh, get a bit complicated and controversial, um, especially in the farming community when it comes to land being bought up, especially higher quality land uh, and then planted with trees, which uh, is then an irreversible change in land use. Yeah, I mean, there definitely is a perception that some of those current systems of offsetting the idea that you know, to Heathrow wants a runway. So what it does is buy lots of land and plant some trees that that's taking land out of production and, and actually is often being done without an awareness of the wider impact on local communities or biodiversity or even overall food security. 
Yeah, so I think we're getting wise to this. Uh, these these are new markets and there are negative unintended consequences. So the Scottish Government uh, in particular has been leading the charge because the impact uh, of, uh, of land acquisition for forest carbon has been greatest in Scotland by far. Um, and the, the Land Reform Act um, uh, will contain a number of measures that will enable government to do that strategic thinking and ask, actually, are we happy uh, with uh, with this land being sold um, for that change in land use at that scale in that location or not, as the case may be, so public interest tests and the like. The British Standards Institute uh, are creating a, a series of uh, of new standards that are designed to increase the integrity of, uh, of carbon and other forms of ecosystem market maybe speak a bit more about that later but one of the principles in these is that uh, these markets should deliver community benefit uh, quite how that happens is, of course, a, a question to be answered. Uh, I'm a volunteer member of my local development trust, and uh, we're in the process of trying to create a community benefit fund to benefit from uh, woodland and, and peatland and other carbon markets as they come online. And it's a very similar principle to wind farms um, that uh, that there there is compensation due to uh, to local communities. Uh, especially where uh, there there are no other tangible benefits coming from those kinds of projects. Mm-hmm. That's great. So should we should we do some of these terms that people bandy about if we're talking like we might be doing a little while and um, then just make sure we we define them and know what we're talking about. So a carbon credit. What's one of those? Yeah, so uh, for every unit of uh, carbon dioxide or effectively carbon dioxide equivalent that you remove from the atmosphere uh, or that you prevent going into the atmosphere, uh, atmosphere, uh, you get a carbon unit or a carbon credit. And um, depending on the nature of that, whether it's woodland or peatland, for example, uh, the integrity of that, um, so UK uh, units versus units uh, in overseas countries where you can't really see what's going on in terms of the governance, for example, uh, then people are willing to pay a different um, a different price per unit. Okay, so I guess that's where that other term verification comes in. So how does how does that i mean it'll obviously work slightly differently for different kinds of carbon credits but but basically what what's verification uh, first step is validation. So we've got a project um, and uh, and we can see you've gone to the ground, the project is happening, it's real, but it's not actually generated any units yet. Uh, as it begins to sequester and store uh, or avoid emissions, uh, then you have to be able to demonstrate that that is real. And so there will be some form of measurement that has to be done that that carbon has in fact been removed from the atmosphere and stored uh, or not uh, and if not well uh, by how much is the is that shortfall and what do you then do about that so it's just checking that it's it's real yeah so it's, it's checking really isn't it it's a long word for checking it's right um though additionality is one of those ones that might get quite complicated i think yeah, so it's basically just saying if this was going to happen anyway, then you can't then claim carbon credits for this. So if you are legally required to to do something, so perhaps this is a planning obligation, you're going to have to do that anyway because it's a planning obligation. Uh, you can't then say, great, let's uh, claim some carbon credits for this because the person buying those carbon credits is buying hot air. That was going to happen whether or not you put that money in. So uh, for it to be additional, you have to be able to demonstrate that that would not have happened without the carbon finance. Okay. And I guess that the time that becomes quite tricky, and I've heard the, the most heated debates about it, is when we're talking about maybe a change in biodiversity at the same time as a change in carbon, at the same time as something else. So this we might call stacking. That's another one of those terms, isn't it? 
Yeah, so we've got a project at the moment with the Woodland Carbon Code and the Peatland Code, where we are creating the first uh, high integrity stacking system in the UK for, for these kinds of markets. So we're looking at stacking biodiversity with uh, carbon from these uh, these two different types of habitat. Uh, and the key thing is uh, if you restore peat bog and you also happen to get some biodiversity uh, in with that, uh, then it's the same thing. The biodiversity was going to happen anyway. So anyone who gives you money for that biodiversity, they're paying for hot air. And so typically the the, the scenario where that can count and where you are allowed to stack uh, is if the carbon finance alone is not enough to make the project financially viable and uh, in order to make that vi viable and therefore for it to go ahead, you need to stack multiple forms of finance uh, on top of each other, uh, which could be a government grant plus some carbon plus some biodiversity finance. And if all of that takes you over a threshold into financially viable, then that project is going to happen and it would not have happened without both of those sources of private investment. I guess the the other two, and I mentioned offsetting already in the context of Heathrow buying its trees, um, not that I'm sure that actually happened before anyone has a go at me later. The, the difference between offsetting and insetting, which I think is a more recent term, and, and how do those play out? Yeah, so insetting is where a company decarbonises uh, its supply chain. So as a company, uh, if I want to reach net zero, I need to uh, look at my scope one, two and three emissions. So what I do uh, as a supermarket in store, uh, my lighting solution, my uh, fleet of vans, etc., uh, all the way through to my suppliers, which includes my farmers. Um, and, uh, and what can I do to to try and decarbonise what happens on the farm and whatever I can, uh, I can do uh, on farm, I can then count as part of my scope three emissions um, towards that net zero target. Um, and, uh, and, and my view is that needs to be our priority. Uh, we decarbonise as far as possible, but if we haven't uh, reached our net zero target and we can't reach our net zero target simply by decarbonising what we're doing, then we can offset, which is now where we're investing um, in farms, for example, or other solutions outside our supply chain. So the current marketplace for all these things, I think I don't I, I don't think it is quite still. And I, I don't know that this was ever the right term, but the Wild West. But the idea that it was uncontrolled and anybody could do what, whatever they liked, I think I you've already hinted, I think, that you can see regulation and structures coming now to, to help regulate those markets. What kind of things might we expect in the next two to three years? Yeah, so I think internationally there there are um, good and bad players. So the majority of the the uh, companies operating in the UK are in the the good category, but there are some. Um, some that I would not trust if uh, we're operating in the UK space as well. Um, and so the, the, the problem is it just takes one or two uh, cowboy outfits to then destroy trust in the market and the market works if there's if there's not trust. And so uh, it is important that, uh, that we weed those uh, players out um, and that we ensure that there is a consistently um, uh, high integrity to these uh, to these markets. And the, the way that uh, that we're proposing um, is, is a novel approach, uh, I would argue world leading uh, in the UK, uh, and this is that uh, the British Standards Institute or BSI have been commissioned and are working on behalf of all four UK governments, uh, because this is of course a, a UK market, even if it's a devolved issue. Uh, but working uh, to create a set of, uh, of nature investment standards, um, that's uh, what they're calling them. 
Uh, and these uh, these have a, a series of of market principles at their hearts that bring consistency to them. Um, and uh, and now uh, once they are launched, and we'll be seeing some of these uh, coming online potentially as early as next year. Uh, if you uh, own a code such as the Woodland Carbon Code or the Peatland Code, if you uh, have a a company or a scheme uh, that is offering offsetting. Um, uh, and uh, or in setting for that matter, actually, and you want to get that BSI tick, which gives your customers uh, that uh, that sense of security that you have something of high integrity, uh, then you will have to submit um, uh, all of your governance, uh, measurements, reporting, verification methods, etc., to BSI for checking against uh, a set of minimum requirements. Uh, and if you are above those minimum requirements, you get the BSI tick. If you're not, you get told what you need to do to increase your integrity. Um, so, for example, a minimum uh, number of years for a permanence period, um, uh, a minimum number of additionality tests uh, to make sure that these are real permanent and additional uh, benefits that you're buying. And I think for, for farmers, this is going to be quite important, land, landowners of any type, because it is really hard to know who to trust. Um, it, it's a, a bewildering array of companies, especially in the soil carbon space, uh, approaching farmers. How do you know who to trust? Um, and, uh, and I could give you a bunch of, of difficult questions to, to, to ask, and uh, we can go there if you want. But I think for me, actually, the, the simplest thing is the BSI are going to ask those questions for you. And if you can wait until those BSI standards come, out, uh, then that is uh, the, the safest way uh, of doing this is only working with BSI accredited companies, schemes and markets. Yeah, I guess that's in the same way as we might look at him if we're bringing a plumber or an electrician into our house, that certification, um, it, it can be really important to give us assurance in, in, that, in that dealing. So if I'm now a farmer who is thinking, yeah, maybe I should be looking at this, what kind of things should I be doing now? Yeah, um, so I think the first first thing is you need to uh, to, to look at the, the opportunity space on your farm uh, and different farms will have different opportunities. Uh, I'd be looking at uh, woody biomass uh, to start with. Um, and so depending on uh, the kind of land that you've got, it may be that you want to, to afforest some land and do that through the, the Woodland Carbon Code. Uh, more likely, you may want to um, to plant hedgerows. Um, uh, there is a hedgerow carbon code, uh, but uh, coming down the line, an agroforestry code, which uh, is anticipated, will include hedgerows as part of the woodland carbon code as well. Um, uh, and uh, and so so great, I can get some carbon for for that woody biomass. Um, potentially civil pastoralism as well. So um, planting trees uh, in pasture, um, getting a few other benefits uh, alongside that. But then uh, looking at uh, at the soil, what can I do uh, to sequester and store carbon in the soil uh, whilst uh, maintaining production, but moving perhaps uh, over to more regenerative uh, uh, techniques uh, and such like. Uh, so, um, yeah, if, if I've got smoplands across the peatland codes, I'm thinking about that. Um, uh, if I'm on the coast, it could be uh, managed realignment, uh, salt marsh code is coming down the line. So, yeah, depending on the kind of land you've got, uh, the, the opportunity space, uh, the condition of, of your peat bog, for example, uh, different opportunities. Um, and uh, and then uh, I guess the next step would be uh, would be baselining. Uh, so especially if you're doing uh, soil carbon, 
then uh, having that baseline is a useful thing. You don't have to do that now. Uh, we're, you can do that uh, as you enter into into a scheme, but um, uh, depending on the um, uh, the scheme, they may want uh, uh, yeah a good year's worth uh, or more than a year's worth of, of of data rather than just kind of yeah we've got one point in time and now we start from here. Um, so yeah, no harm in, in getting that, um, uh, but also yeah, it's useful diagnostically as well in terms of what you might want to do uh, in terms of managing your land. Um, I think uh, getting some good advice as well. So, so work with, with an agent, an advisor who has an understanding of these markets um, and in particular look at, uh, at your contract. Um, so uh, ideally you're going, you're going to wait uh, for, 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 for a BSI accredited scheme and that will give you that, uh, that assurance. Um, many of these will have standard contracts. You're still going to want to get them checked out. Uh, but if you are um, going ahead of uh, the, the BSI, then it's really important to make sure that you are looking very carefully at those at those contracts um, to make sure that you're happy. Uh, you mentioned Heathrow. Um, some people might be perfectly yeah. happy with that. Others might not be. Uh, and so you can ask questions about who are the investors and uh, who are they willing to sell that carbon to, for example. Uh, but for a lot of farmers, uh, arable grassland, it's primarily going to be their supplies that they're working with, and it's going to be insetting. That's that's where the majority of of the action lies for most farmers. So I, I suspect then that a lot of farmers are going to to hear about schemes like this actually through their supply chains, and it's going to be the 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 purchasers or the or the manufacturers actually beyond the purchasers coming back down the chain to them to ask, um, is it is it possible? What's possible, and and can they get involved? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's more likely to be um, a processor manufacturer than it is, say, a retailer. But uh, so it's kind of next link up the chain uh, to you, typically that that will uh, will contact you. And it could be them doing this uh, internally. It could be that they have uh, hired a project developer, at one of these companies, to do this on their behalf. Um, in some cases, uh, there there is a financial incentive to this. So uh, Nestle had uh, a milk premium, um, for example, for, for a number of years um, if their farmers uh, did certain things. Uh, it could be that uh, they will give you money to invest in certain uh, bits of kit uh, or changes on farm. It could just be uh, skills development, uh, things like that. I think the fear is that as more companies set net zero targets, uh, that uh, that they are going to simply require this as a condition of contract to get into your supply chain. Uh, you need to have uh, a net zero uh, plan and you need to be on track and you need to be delivering a certain amount um, of carbon. Um, and of course, at that point, um, then there's no real benefit other than keeping a contract. And, um, and I think this is one of the reasons that uh, I would always uh, advise against jumping into an offset market and selling outside your supply chain, because the great thing is that in your supply chain, uh, great, uh, Nestle as um, uh, the processing plant um, up the road from me can benefit and count that towards its net zero targets, uh, but equally so can the, the supermarket that it sells it to. Uh, and so everyone along that supply chain can benefit from what I'm doing. But as soon as I sold that to a third party outside the supply chain, that is lost to everyone. And great, if the price is right, maybe consider that. But yeah, I'd always be aware that, uh, that that could come back to bite you if in future people expect that as a condition of contract. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a, as a marketplace in which we're, we're certainly saying seller beware at the moment. And and also that, that line is the, if the price is right. And I think that's a really tricky one for someone to to really process about what is the right price to act, thinking about the fact that we're tying up land and land use potentially for actually quite a lot of years. 
Yeah, so the Woodland Carbon Code and the Peatland Code have just introduced a transparent pricing mechanism. Uh, so, um, so that's 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 quite nice. You can see now how much woodland and peatland carbon sell for, and that will be updated on a regular basis. So you can track those prices. Uh, you know, you're not going to be uh, underselling. So, uh, so, so it's worth it's worth thinking about that. Uh, the, there have been uh, guarantees, so there was a, a woodland carbon guarantee, uh, there have been proposals made in Scotland um, for something similar for, for peatlands, uh, and uh, my hunch is that we are likely to see more of these kinds of schemes down, coming down the, the road to us uh, from, from governments who have targets uh, that they want to meet and uh, who see the role that private investment can play, uh, but also recognise that there are risks uh, to farmers. Uh, and so. Uh, in a guarantee mechanism, the great thing is that you get a guaranteed price for your uh, carbon uh, that you set uh, that is going to get you uh, profit. And uh, if the market crashes, you uh, can exercise that guarantee. So you get that minimum uh, price from the government guaranteed. Uh, but if the market rises, then you get to pocket the difference. Um, and that that kind of scheme, I think, can make a, quite a big difference to to the risk going into these markets. That's really useful. Thank you. So a really great introduction, I think. but only really beginning to, to to tickle the surface, as we might say, in the context of, of these markets, looking at them going forward. We'll make sure there are some some resources and some links alongside the podcast, particularly to the to the woodland, peatland and, and some of the materials emerging around the hedgerows and, and farmland code and, and a number of other resources too. And if anyone wants to, to follow up any of the other threads, um, please do follow up on the measuring soil carbon or the just understanding carbon in soil links and, and so on in the other podcasts. But thank you very much for your time this afternoon. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.